You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we are here with a good friend and an amazing uh, person who's in charge of branding and PR. And we're just excited to learn really kind of her journey in Charlotte. But we have Jessica Martin Graham here with Phoenix Consulting. Now, everybody, when you're talking about your business, you want people to think positive thoughts, right? You know, building a good brand message is essential to your sales and profits and building a good corporate image is important uh, to not only to keep your place in the community, but support your community. Now, books have been written on how to do that. And our next uh, guest on the Brand Motors podcast does that for a living. Uh, Jessica Martin Graham uh, has been really in the Charlotte community for a really long time, has spent more than 25 years designing and leading strategic communications and community outreach for for multiple different companies. Uh, Basically, she helps you look great and communicate what you're trying to say to the public. In other words, PR. So we're so excited to welcome Jessica. She's not only a member of the Hood Argue Breakfast Club, but we've had the opportunity to get to know her and her family. She's an amazing person, uh, is doing an amazing job and, and is what we would consider a super referral because she always sends us leads that are freaking amazing. So if you want that in your life, you need to you need to meet Jessica uh, Martin Graham. But thank you and welcome to the Brand Butters Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. It's been a long time coming here. A right. long time. A long time. Yes. Tell us about yourself a little bit. Like what was important to you growing up and how in the world did you end up in PR for all these years? That's a big question. <laughs> let's start small. No. Uh, well, let's get this thing going. Let's yeah. go. Uh, so I have been in Charlotte 40 years. Uh, my father worked for Ingersoll Rand, and so we were moved all over the place uh, before we ended up here. And so I am a graduate of CMS. I went to Carolina. Uh, and when I was at Carolina, I guess I got it in my head that I wanted to do this. Um I would love to say it was a conscious decision and I made plans and all this, and that's just not how it happened. Uh, It was much more intuitive. Um, I got into Carolina's School of Journalism at the time. They've changed their name, but that's what it was back in the day, and literally got out of school and started my journey. Uh, I have been in what people call the PR space ever since, Um, and I absolutely love it. Uh, It's just... I just have a real passion for it and all the different aspects of it. And that's one of the things that I love is that it means so many different things. Um, And my career has been, while it's always been sort of in that industry, it's been across multiple companies. I've done everything from crisis communication to event planning to everything in between, uh, social media, everything. And so that's what I love. Um, I love the variety of it. And I really love helping people. So uh, I went to a business coach a few years ago before I launched my business to try to figure out what I should do. And one of the things that she discovered about me, which I had never really realized, is I like to get in, help, and then get out and go do something else. (laughs) And you can see that if you look at my career. Um, If you look, I mean, again, we moved every two years when I was growing up. I mean, I'm just very much used to a lot of variety and change, and I love that. Um, But I like to make an impact and make it better before I go. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so here I am three years ago, uh, I started my business. So and it's been fantastic. I absolutely love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. So. 
I love it. So go ahead. No. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I was gonna jump into something before we get into what's happening now with your new business. One of the coolest things um, that that we learned uh, was that back in the mid '90s, you helped AmeriCorps. Um, to get a grant to implement technology in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. And that's pretty groundbreaking. I would love to learn, you know, not only like in the 90s, like I went to school in the 90s. <laughs> Careful. We didn't have, yeah, we didn't have that <laughs> much technology. You know what I mean? It was chalkboard, baby. Like it was overhead projector was like technology. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When the, when the that's TV right. came in on the wheels, let's go. It's movie <laughs> oh, yeah. time. Oh yeah. Film but, strips. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, and oh, now, yeah. and now it's like every kid's got an <laughs> iPad. And I mean, and I get it. Like you, like technology is, is a great, tool but tell us I mean how were you kind of ahead of the charge there and, and really knowing that hey we need to be able to implement technology as soon as possible um, to not only help our students but but prepare them for the future I'm so excited you asked me about that um, I mean I'm really excited so I was two years out of school and we got a call from a national organization. I, I worked for a nonprofit at the time. It was called the Charlotte Mecklenburg Education Foundation. It is sort of mech ed today. Uh, so, and we, there were two of us running the foundation, uh, the executive director, who was not me, and then me. Um, and so she did the majority of running the organization. I don't want to give myself more credit. But anyway, we had an amazing, an amazing, amazing board. Um, many of whom I'm still in touch with, which is funny. But anyway, we got a call from this national organization and they said, hey, there's this grant opportunity. IBM really wants to help integrate technology into schools, which was a new concept back then. Um, Computers and what you could do with them was new and schools didn't really know what to do with them. Their teachers hadn't been trained on them back then. Um, They didn't know how to integrate it into the school day um, or even how to use it. And so IBM wanted to make a difference in that space. And so we collaborated with this um, national organization. It was the Public Education Fund Network out of New York and applied for one of the first AmeriCorps grants in the country. AmeriCorps was brand new. Um, And for those of you who don't know, it's basically a domestic Peace Corps. It's the easy way to say it. So here I am. I was 24 and wrote a federal grant because my executive director basically said, do you want to do this? And if you do, I think it's great. If you do, you're going to have to do it. And because, again, we were two people and I thought it was awesome. So wrote the federal grant, our, our Charlotte's portion of it, and we won. Um, we were one of the first 58, I think, um, AmeriCorps programs in the country. And so we hired, or I hired, technology specialists who came in from all over the country. It was bizarre because they worked for nothing. Like they made, I think, like seven grand a year or something. I mean, nothing. And they would get some money to pay back their educational loans. So we brought in these young folks. Actually, they weren't all young. So they ranged from, like, I think 20 to 56. Like I had a couple of older folks who came in and did it. Um, And we went into uh, middle schools in Charlotte Mecklenburg school system. And my technology specialists created technology plans for the schools. And they set up the very first computer labs in these schools. So they did training for teachers um, to teach them how to use it, to teach them how to integrate it. 
They, again, literally took donated equipment. IBM was a wonderful partner, um, donated a lot of equipment and created the very first computer labs. They put together strategic plans for the school so they could, again, figure out how to integrate it into the school day. And it was phenomenal. Um, I ran two years, the first two years of the program. We had... 100% of our AmeriCorps members stayed in the program, which was unheard of for AmeriCorps members. The turnover was phenomenal Um, because, again, it was a lot of work for not hardly any money. And anyway, the program continued for uh, two years – no, one year, I think, after I left. Um, And it was a huge success. When Dr. John Murphy, who was our superintendent at the time, a real – education reformer at the time. Uh, When he left his position as superintendent, he did an editorial in the paper about the things that he was most proud of. I think it was like the top five or something. And we were one of those things. He was, yeah, they, he loved it. It was, it was a great program. I'm really, really proud of that. And to have that so early in your career is just really cool. Um, Because of course, I got to do the PR for it and all the communication around it. And it was, it was, it was great. It was a great learning experience. It was like a springboard. It was. And you mentioned like you worked for a couple of companies here and there. Let's let's list them. <laughs> Time Warner Cable, CPCC, Belk, Harris Teeter. And this is not where you're just, you know, and, and no offense, just an employee. You were you were helping them not only brand, create their message in a time where now branding is the big thing, right? Personal branding. Uh, if you ought to be, I mean, it's great, right? We have the Brand Builders podcast. Why did we create that? Because we want to tell the stories of amazing brands. But back in the 90s, there might not have been a lot of personal branding and even corporate branding might have been new. And how do we market ourselves? So I'd love to learn from you. And then maybe we jump kind of into the future here with not the future into right now and what you've been doing with your organization. And really, what have you seen in the last, you know, three years and what do companies need to do from either a PR side or a branding side? I guess we just love to learn a little bit of advice from, from what, what are you telling companies, especially going into 2020 and the new decade that we're in? So I would say the number one thing that I would say when it comes to branding is you have got to be authentic. Uh, do not do not create a brand because you think it's the popular thing to do or would be relevant to a particular segment of your customers. Right? It's got to be authentic. And and let me step back to you and say when I say brand, I do not mean your logo. Right. I mean, your brand, like everything you do is a part of your brand. And that's why that authenticness is so important. I might have just made up a word. Authenticness. No, that's a word. I think you're good. We're going to make it a word if it's not. Uh, um, But I, I, I really think that's the core. And I think that's what you see is most successful in in really successful brand. When you say, hey, think of a brand that you really like. Um, or that you really connect with it, you're connecting with it because it's authentic and they live that brand in every touch point and in everything that they do. Um, and to me, that is the number one most important thing. Now, a lot of people don't necessarily know what that means or how to make it authentic or how to find out if it's authentic. Um, and so that's where I can help. Um, I have a question on that real quick. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. everybody is, is the, everybody talks about it. Like you got to be authentic. You need to be real. You need to be, you know, who you are. 
is that because there have been so many brands that haven't been authentic? Like, why is it now, like, in 2020, everybody's like, be as real as you can, like, be you. I felt like I've always been that way, but I do feel like there's a lot of people that w- that want to be something different and they want to put a mask on or they want to act like something didn't happen when in reality, it's like, just face it. You know, like, I, I so I'm like interested is, is it because there's more exposure now? Like why, why is authentic important now? And maybe it wasn't 10 years ago. It's a great question. And, and I think you bring up a great point. I don't say it because it's like a hip thing to say now, um, because it is, and good for it. I mean, you know, that's great, but that is not where I'm coming from. So I, I do think it's the, it's the communication environment in which we find ourselves, right? So back in the day, we worked for big companies. If we didn't like something, we might have complained about it at the water cooler, but that was it, right? And if you had a brand, meaning a logo or what you said in your advertising or what have you, no one would necessarily know if that was true or not because people who worked in the building kept it in the building or maybe told their family or friends, but there wasn't this there wasn't this social media connection, mm-hmm. internet connection that there is now. Um, and there was a lot more media. But even media at the time took a very different approach. Um, so I think the reality is in today's world, you really there are way too many opportunities for people to see what you really are and to talk about what you really are if you're not being that. Does that? Yeah, no, yeah. I, that that nailed it. I, I think and, and I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I, I believe everything that we pr- promote, like this podcast, it's authentic. We don't script it. We want to have an authentic conversation and understand and, and hopefully be able to promote the brands that we have on. Right. Um, but I love what you just said. It's all about exposure. Right. Like 20 years ago, nobody might have known. Now they'll know all. And if that's you're not right. being authentic, guess who will be? Another company, and that's where the money's going. That's right. And that's where the followers are going. So that was really well put. And I love that you said, I'm not saying this because it's the hip thing. And a lot of people might think that. If you're trying to be authentic, but you're not being authentic, guess what? Everyone's going to know. Yeah. Like, everyone's going to know. They so will. Your employees will know it, and they'll talk about it. Your customers will know it, and they'll talk about it. Again, you'll get called out on it. And uh, it, it's funny, you all know me, so you know, but I am... One of my <laughs> one of my brand qualities is that authentic people. Like I will tell you the truth, and and I will tell you how people are perceiving what you're doing. Um, and so I'm very honest and transparent with with what I talk to my clients about. So the fact that I'm not saying it because it's the popular thing to say, that's just kind of part of of yeah, me. I, so well, yeah, I love that. I had a question on. On PR side of things, you know, you see a lot of companies now, you know, somebody gets fired immediately for a tweet. Uh, Someone gets in trouble for doing something stupid. You know, 10, 15 years ago, A, they might not have had the platform to say something like that, but B, it probably would have just been under the rug. How are you coaching companies and individuals on how they act outside of the office? And is today's environment, it's not clock out at five and leave do whatever you want, come back on Monday, you're part of that brand 24-7. So what's your advice to those companies? Or how, how has that shifted how you speak to executives and to leaders? And it's like, this is this is real. Like you're one employee away from us having a PR nightmare that would have never existed 10 years ago. I love that you asked me that. I, I actually just had a, one of my strategic partners did a blog post on the top 
crises, potential crises of the year. And that was literally my answer. I said, it, it's, it's employees and it's an election year. And that is going to create problems for brands. Um, I have many times in my corporate career gotten messages from customer service, gotten messages directly from customers that, hey, your employee, you know, at this location could be a frontline employee, but they said this on this group chat and I screen printed it and look who you've got working for you and I'm not going to, you know, buy from you or visit you anymore because your employee thinks this. It's a huge, huge danger zone. Um, To companies, I say first and foremost, you have to train and educate your employees on your policies. So you've got to have policies as much as you can around how you're going to handle this kind of problem, and you have to make sure your employees know about it. So that's just sort of basic foundation 101. Then you have to you have to talk through and frankly you have to sort of practice what are you going to do when it comes up? How are you going to handle it? What is your response going to be? Um, and you you've got to make sure particularly that your HR folks but all of your managers understand that it's a coaching conversation. So because I used to get a lot of feedback, oh nope, you know it's free speech, you, you know I can't say anything. I said you may not be able to stop them from making a comment, but you can help educate them and coach them on what they're doing long term to their career, to the company. I mean it it it's an issue and people have to understand it. Um, they have to see the potential outcomes of it. Is that going to solve it? No. I mean, that this is going to be a problem that lives, I think, forever. Like, it's here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there are things you can do to mitigate the risk. You know, during a crisis, like, how do you stay cool? And, and, <laughs> yeah. and no, seriously, like, and, Jessica! <laughs> everyone who's ever worked with me is laughing right now. Yeah. <laughs> what are like key ingredients to crisis control when, say, the media is firing at this company for whatever reason and you have to respond immediately? How do you get that together so quickly and professionally and get, get your message and your rebuttal or your response out in time? That is also increasingly hard. So that ha- that game has changed uh, for sure. Um, I would say still, though, the, the fundamental answer is the same thing it was 20 years ago, and that is you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a crisis plan. You've got to have uh, generic processes that you know you will pull into place no matter what the crisis is. But you also have to have some specific uh, plans that you can fall back on depending on what the crisis is. So um, a lot of times, if you really spend time on it, you can foresee a lot of potential crises. Um, not all by any stretch, but you can, if you really give it the time and space that you need, bring in the professionals that you need to help you prepare for that, you can sort of set the foundation groundwork. And I will say in a crisis, nothing ever goes according to plan. But the fact that you've got one and you've practiced it and you know it does give you a sense of calm. And I I think the communications folks out there, you know, we do need to be calm. Um, And we're not always, but (laughs) by any, uh, we're human beings. But everyone around you will freak out. And it is sort of your job to say, you know, okay, take a breath, step back, and let's 
approach approach this intellectually um, and and not emotionally. So, um, and I would say I, I, most most not all by any stretch, but most brands are getting better at it. You know, they're realizing the impact. And and again, the media approach is different than it was before because you're right. You can get a call from a national. Um, I've I've had this happen. You get a call and from a national organiza- news organization and they say, you know, you've got 30 minutes because we're tweeting it out. And whether you comment or not, like it's going out. Ooh. And so, yeah. And so you have to you have to be ready for that and you have to know what you would do in that in that instance. I got a question. So it seems like there's always like a flavor of the week that something happens and it's like the whole social media world just attacks this company. An example would be Chick-fil-A comes up a lot because of their faith. Um, they've changed some things, but, you know, they believe in what True Cathy created, but there might be just a, pardon my French, a shit storm for an entire week, but then it blows over. And I feel like it's like the uproar is like, well, let's just wait for the next one. And it's almost like we have this like cult out there that would wake up every day and go, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to piss somebody off today or I'm going to go write something about I'm going to find out what's wrong with this company and I'm going to expose it. It's like they were born to do that. Is that just the world we live in now? Is that is is it just you're going to all I mean, the bigger you are, guess what? You're going to have haters. You're going to have people that write bad reviews. You're going to have people that are literally looking for a way to put you down. And like, how exhausting is that? (laughs) Dealing, I mean, it just seems like it's like, golly, like. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um, And I think that's a, that, that, well, that is a big part of my coaching with a lot of executives is, again, you have to understand what you're seeing and if it's really as bad as you think it is. Because in some cases it's not. And in some cases, this is, this is rare, and it depends very much on the company and the situation. But I have, I have told clients, don't say anything. Don't engage. Don't engage it. And they don't, and it goes away. Because there are literally people who – see, the problem is you don't know today. If Dunstan Group did something and somebody didn't like it and they started one of these campaigns, they could be yelling at you and threatening you from Seattle. You don't have any idea. It sounds like they're right down the street and they're going to come over here and pick it and, you know, make a big news scene and everybody's going to come. But they may not be. And I've seen that multiple times um, lately where you can create a story with your response. And so you have to be very careful and, again, step back, look at some data. You know, is this really as big a deal in some cases it is, and you absolutely have to respond appropriately, and you just have to. But in some cases it's not, especially with smaller companies. And so in some cases you do need to let it blow over, and it will, and and be prepared if it doesn't, but move on. Shifting gears a little bit back to Phoenix Consulting, after a number of years in the corporate world, how does it feel to be owning your own small business. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> what are some of the differences? Yeah, I love it. Congratulations, um, by the way. This is you. awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah, you. Thank congrats. You. Three thank years. You. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so different. Um, just the stress is different. It's different stress. Um, you know, I didn't worry about the paycheck necessarily before, whereas now I'm looking at 
money, right? You guys, I'm sure, can relate at some point, at some level. Um, but I don't have pleasing clients is is different than pleasing an executive. Um, I don't. It's just different. It's the political environment is different. I don't mean politics, political. I mean just corporate. Internally and yeah, corporate. corporate politics. Red tape. And Red all tape. That stuff. All that. It. It's just different and. Um, one of the reasons why uh, I know my business coaches thought that I would do well in this is every job I've had, with the exception of one, I've been the first one in it. So I'm very used to building mm-hmm. it. Um, and so I love that. And I again, that's what I've always done. So that piece of it is not stressful at all for me. Um, it's just different, and I just love it. And And you can see the difference that you're making so much quicker, mm-hmm. uh, so much faster. Um, you get so, to make a lot of decisions versus yeah. some committee or yes. whatever it is. Yes, exactly. And again, there's not the political play into it. I, I mean, there is for the organization that you're working with, but it's different. You're separate from that. So I just love it. And it gives me a lot of flexibility, um, much more so than I had um, in in the corporate environment. I don't have to deal with the commute every day. I mean, just little things, but I just, I just love it. I thought when I would think you know, many years ago about would I ever go out on my own? And my answer was always no. I thought it would be so lonely. I thought it would be very isolating and lonely. And oh my gosh, I mean, I meet with people all day, really just about every day. So I don't, I don't have that at all. And I'm very much an extrovert. Like I have to be out there and talking to people or I do get lonely and I'm not at all, which that was a big surprise for me. I love that. What's well, cool that you're working on right now yeah. and that you're most ex- well, that might be. I a- have so much. <laughs> yeah. um, it's interesting. One of the things that I'm most excited about right now is I'm helping a company with their brand positioning in Charlotte. So this group has been around for uh, 35 years. They do work all over the all over the country and in Canada. They're absolutely the best at what they do. They're a phenomenal company. But a lot of folks in Charlotte don't even know that they're here. And so I've done a lot of positioning with them around that to try to help their visibility just in this area. Um, And that's been awesome because I love them. And that's the other great thing is my clients, you know, I get to pick. And so I'm working with people who I absolutely adore. And the brands are phenomenal. Um, That's a always been a big thing of mine. Like I'd never felt like I could, because I do communications and PR and represent the brands I work with, I never, there are certain brands I couldn't work with because I just don't believe in what they do. I'll, I'll never work for a tobacco company. I'll just sure. say it, right? I just can't get past that. So the fact that I get to work for multiple people, multiple people who I love, but multiple brands that I just believe in so strongly is just, it's awesome. I love it. If there were uh, was one company or, or uh, uh, if you could kind of mold what your ideal client would be, um, who who would that be? What What is your ideal client? If someone's listening to this right now and they're like, oh, I don't really like what she's saying and like maybe we've had some of these issues or maybe we do want to go a different direction with our brand, uh, what would be a good fit for, for Phoenix Consulting? Wonderful question. Thank you for asking. Uh, I think that for me, it's I'm probably having the biggest impact in what I consider those mid-size businesses, which that's a pretty big group. Um, and, and that can vary depending on how you define yourself. I've done work with larger corporations, and I love that because I, I know and I understand that environment. 
But it's those mid-sized businesses who are really encountering the communications issues, right? They're either old enough to where it's becoming an internal issue for them and they need to start working on culture and internal communications, or there's a brand positioning issue, um, social media, you know, there are a number of different things on that spectrum. But that size company where I come in, they don't have a corporate communications function. So they don't have someone with my perspective at the table. And let's face it, in today's world, I think everybody needs someone with this expertise, either they can call or sitting at the table with them. So I would say those mid-sized businesses who are starting to have those corporate communications needs, but they don't have a fully fledged department. Um, I'm your girl. I love it. Do you work on a contract basis or or do you cater towards whatever that company's needs are? Say we're a small business, there's six of us here. Could we pay you hourly for that kind of thing? Or do we have to do a retainer? How, how does that work? From- I tailor it for the client. So I do, I do retainer work, I do project work, and I do hourly work. So it really just depends on what they need me for, um, how long they need me, and how big they are and what they can, what they can tolerate. Um, my longest retainer uh, contract retainer has been six months. I've done projects that are two weeks. So it just it just depends on the needs of the client, to be honest. And I love right. that. Again, I like that I can offer that flexibility. Get in and get out. I was exactly. about to say, that is, that is maximum flexibility. Love it. Yeah, um, that's, that's what I like. I love it. Well, you know, we, um, we appreciate you coming on our podcast. And, you know, if you are listening uh, to our podcast, please like, share, comment. Go follow Jessica. She does amazing work, not only on social media, but for all of the companies uh, in and around the Charlotte area as a, uh, a Myers Park High School grad um, <laughs> who's been here and seen Charlotte grow. It's a unique perspective. And I'm so lucky to, to be able to meet you a couple of years ago through at Hargate Breakfast Club. It's been a, a pleasure to get to know you and your family. I think you you are a, a, a shining light when you walk into a room. And I think a lot of companies are blessed to have you. And so thanks again, Jessica, for, for joining us on the Brand Builders Podcast. We look forward to following the story. Uh, I think you're just getting started. And who knows? Maybe we'll, uh, we'll have a couple of employees that jump in there and, and we continue to grow. But we'll have to wait and see for all of that. <laughs> Um, but thank that's you a whole again. other ball that's, game. That's yeah. right. Way. We can that's talk. Right. Yeah. Uh, I love you guys. Um, love, love, love Dunstan Group. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of this podcast. So really, really proud to have seen what you've done with it. And just think you guys are the best. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That means thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank well, you. Th- thank you. Thanks, y'all. Until the next time, uh, you have just listened to the Brand Butters Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.